Well, good morning, good morning. I want to take a minute and welcome those of you who are watching online and welcome my friends over at the Neely campus. Today we are going to be continuing on in our Summer of Psalm series. And uh, if, you, if you have your Bible, you can open up. We're going to be in the Old Testament today. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then we're going to move on over. You can put a finger uh, in Psalm chapter 51. It's going to be important for us to read uh, and get some context for our, our, the, the, the psalm that we're going to be reading today. So that's where, uh, why we're going to be in 2 Samuel. And, and you need to know, you need to know that this first passage that we're going to be reading today, it's, it's going to feel a little bit more like a Jerry Springer show than it is the story of, of a man after God's own heart, a king over Israel, and, and a prophet of God. And, and so... Uh, there's a statement that I'm going to say, and you're going to hear it several times over the course of our time together today. And it's the, the statement that I want you to chew on. It's the title of today's message, and it's simply this. The road to forgiveness begins with a clean heart. The road to forgiveness begins with a clean heart. You know, it's interesting because... <clears throat> Sometimes we uh, find ourselves in a position in life and, and we have a choice to make. And this is, this is what we see in the passage that we're going to be reading today. So we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers, and he took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Uh-oh. You see, David found himself in a certain position. What did you notice in that very first little section of the scripture. It said, in the spring, when kings go out to battle. <laughs> and David is a? Yeah. David was in the wrong position. And then he made a wrong decision. And this is true for us. Many times when we put ourselves in the wrong position, we, we, we may make a wrong decision. And, and, and we know, church, we know ourselves. We know when we put ourselves in a certain place physically or maybe mentally that, that we may make a wrong decision. And I remember my high school football coach, he used to say, man, a lady in first service, she, she looked back at me and when I did that, like, whoa, right? Okay, she said, my, my coach would say, man, he'd say, nothing good ever happens after midnight. And he knew. He knew that a lot of wrong decisions are made after midnight. And this is true, right? When we put ourselves in a wrong position, we may make a wrong decision. And this is exactly what happened with David. And David found himself. He found himself with a choice. 
And his choice was to own up to his, sin, to his sin, to confess it before God and deal with the consequences, or, or he could hide it and suppress that conviction that I'm quite certain that he was feeling and try to move forward with his life. And this is not, uh, this is not when David was a young man, likely, right? David had been walking with God for probably many years at this point. And he knew the Lord's character. And he could probably think back to times when, when God had rescued him, like when he rescued him from Saul or when he rescued him from, from Goliath or when he had defeated the bear or when he had defeated the lion. David knew God's character. And he knew it was right. And he knew it was wrong. And that's why I'm convinced that the road to forgiveness begins with a clean heart. And at this point, in this passage, we see that David's heart is, is not in a good spot. David's heart is out of whack. So what does he do? Pick it up in verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all of the servants of the Lord, and did not go down to his house. And when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths or tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go back to his house. So we notice some things. Uriah is a good man. He is a valiant soldier. In fact, he's, he's one of David's 37 mighty men. We can probably guess from this that they were probably friends, that they had a personal relationship, and, and David knew exactly what he was doing. And look at Uriah's heart. Look at, look at the way that his actions are driven by his heart. What does David do? Does he deal with his sin? No. Does he deal with the conviction and the consequences? Nope. He continues the cover-up. And let me just tell you, it gets worse from here. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Church, when we're trying to cover up our sin, we do crazy things. Things that we would never do in our right mind. When we're trying to cover it up, we get in trouble. 
And this is exactly what happened here with David because sin blinds the heart. Sin blinds the heart and the road to forgiveness begins with a clean heart. And so David, he says, send him to the front lines. And I'm sure Joab, when he gets this message, he's going, what is he doing? What is he, why is he putting himself in this, in this place? Why, why, why would he tell me to send this mighty man to the front of the battle lines and then withdraw? And the story goes on and we see that exactly as David asked Joab to do, he did. And Uriah is killed and the battle does not go well. In fact, when, when, uh, when he, David wants to know how the battle went, Joab says, hey, make sure, make sure you tell him we lost, right? That the battle did not go well, but make sure you also tell him that the Uriah, Uriah the Hittite is no longer alive. So we pick it up in verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So now, Uriah is dead. We see that Bathsheba is David's wife, and that baby bump that's coming in just a few short weeks, no big deal anymore, right? That, that little boy that's going to be born nine months from that point, no big deal, right? Wrong. You see, we see in the ancient Hebrew, it actually is translated. It says, this matter that David did was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He starts off by breaking the 10th commandment. He covets his, his, his neighbor's wife. Then he moves on down the list to, to the seventh commandment and he commits adultery and then he puts a little bow on the top by committing murder. That's quite the trio of sins there. You know, it's interesting because I'm guessing that David probably felt some guilt. I'm guessing he probably felt some conviction, like he knew what he had done was wrong and and guilt has a, it has a, it, it has a, a way of, of weighing on us. And we know this to be true, right? We're, you know, there were some researchers a few years ago, back in the early 2000s up at Princeton, that wanted to know, kind of neurologically, how, how does guilt affect the human body? And so they did, they did a, a little study, and they took 150 college students, and they broke them into three groups. In, in the first group, they, they asked them, Actually, before they asked them any questions, they weighed all of them. So they had them hop on a scale. In the first group of 50, they asked them to, to, to remember a time when they had done something ethical, right? So, you know, helped an old lady cross the street or uh, something good, something people would call ethical. The second group, they asked them to remember something that they had done that was unethical, cheated on a test, sped when they knew that they shouldn't have been speeding. You get the point, Right. The last group, the third group, they asked them just to remember something that's happened in the past year. Just remember a memory. And so here's what they found, and this won't surprise you, and didn't surprise them. With the, with the first and the third group, so with the ethical group, the ethical memory group, and just the memory group, they, they found that, that those people actually perceived their weight to be lighter or on par with what they actually weighed, right? 
But the second group, those who, had, who, who remembered their unethical act, they actually, they actually, uh, their perceived weight was actually higher than their actual weight. And this is true because guilt, it can weigh us down. Guilt weighs us down. It's sins like lies can weigh us down. Gossip weighs us down. Lust weighs us down. And envy and all of these sins, we carry them around like a backpack. And we feel the weight of those sins. You know, sometimes we think it's just Taco Tuesday, or we think it's just all the ice cream that we ate on vacation that's weighing us down. But, but our brain is hardwired to feel the weight of our sin. Our brain is hardwired to feel the weight of our sin. And many times, guilt can lead to condemnation. I want to talk about that word for just a minute. Let's talk about the root of that word, condemnation. Condemn. When a building is condemned, what happens to it? It's abandoned. It's given up on. No one's using it anymore. It's without hope. And condemnation would tell you today that you are wicked. Condemnation would tell you that you are evil, that you are worthless. But church, today you need to know that God is not in the business of condemnation. And some of you need to hear this today. Some of you need to know that there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. You see, the devil wants to tell you that you are worthless because of your sin. The devil wants to tell you that your sin defines you, that God has given up on you, that he has abandoned you. The devil wants to tell you that there's no hope because of what you have done. And you need to know today, church, that there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. How do we know this to be true? The Bible tells us, John 3, 17 says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first sin, when, when they sinned, we see that God actually draws near to them. He doesn't run from them. He draws near to them. And God is holy. And he is righteous. And he is just. And he's altogether different than you and I. And I think God intended our heart to look like his. To be pure. That was his in intent. But what happens? Our sin weighs us down. And it separates us from a holy and righteous God. And it begins to blacken our heart. It begins to change our perspective of ourself. I don't think God intended our heart to look like this. I think he intended our heart to be clean. But this is what David found himself in this kind of situation. And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit was the one who was bringing conviction to David. Because he knew God's character. 
And unlike that Princeton study that I was talking about earlier, it's not just about ethical or unethical. It's about, it's about sin and righteousness. And we're not just physical beings. We're not just emotional beings, but we are spiritual beings. And, and, and our sin separates us from a righteous and holy God. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. John 16, 8 says, this is, one of the, this is one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will prove the world, prove to the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And David's heart begins to change. You see, Nathan comes to him and he, he calls out his sin. And he confronts him about his sin. And, and David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he pens one of the most beautiful and most memorable Psalms, one of the most memorable scriptures in all of the Bible. And here's what he says. Flip over to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in, my sin, in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem that you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David's heart changes. David's heart changes. He, he, he acknowledges his sin. Before he was trying to cover it up and he was trying to mastermind this plan and he just simply acknowledges his sin and he deals with it. He takes it before God and he asks him to remove it. He pleads with him to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Church, David stops with all the excuses and he hits it head on. And our sin, my sin and your sin is what put Jesus on that cross. 
Our sin is what, what breaks up marriages. Our sin is what brings brokenness to, to my generation and to my kids' generation. And Exodus says it can actually have effects to the third and fourth generation. Our sin is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And sometimes we don't think about the weight of our sin. We don't like to talk about it. It's kind of like when I'm talking to my five-year-old and she knows she's done something wrong and she kind of goes like this. She thinks that like if she just doesn't look at me, she doesn't have to deal with it. And that's the way we do it sometimes. It's not there. It's not there. David stops with that. He acknowledges his sin Two, David repents. David repented. He did not justify his sin or give excuses. And this is the tendency in our world around us. <laughs> Tom Brady said, it wasn't me who deflated those footballs. It was the equipment manager. And if you're like me, I look at the headlines a lot of times and I go, <laughs> can't believe that guy. Man, what is he doing? But you know what? You and I, we're... We're just like that. Our lies, our gossip, our lust, it weighs heavily. Our sin is a big deal to God. And David repents. He says in verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse five, I was brought forth in sin and my mother conceived me in sin. And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit, while one of his major roles is to convict the world of sin, he also wants to bring joy and peace and I think this is, this is what David is talking about here. He's saying, restore gladness and joy to me. And when David repents, his heart changes. Finally, David trusts in the mercies of God. Look at your neighbor and say, mercy. David realized that he couldn't pay the penalty for his sin. You can't either. You cannot pay the penalty of your sin. And David's road to forgiveness begins with a clean heart. And that's what he's asking God to bring him. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David came to the conclusion that God is who he says he is. David knew the character of God. He asked him to, to, to take his sin away from him as, as far as the east is from the west. He asked him to restore joy and gladness. And when David's heart changed, it changed everything. When David's heart changed, it changed everything. And church, for you today too. Some of us come in here with a heavy heart today. We come in knowing the things that we have done and we, we haven't dealt with them. We haven't acknowledged them. We haven't repented of those specific sins. And God hasn't given us a clean heart. And so today, to finish our time, I felt like it would be appropriate for us to have a moment
to go before the Lord and to simply confess our sin, to take it to the feet of the cross and ask him to restore to us the joy of our salvation, to repent. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And we're going to have um, some background track that um, we'll play. And you, you can take some time. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, you can even spread out a little bit if you need a little bit of room. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring sins to mind. Specific sins. I'm going to ask you to take those to the Lord. And to, to give you a clean heart. To restore to you the joy of your salvation. And so, Father, today we, we thank you. We thank you for this word. God, we thank you that despite our sin, the heaviness, the weightiness of our sin, that, Lord, we can bring those things to you. And, God, that you are more than happy to forgive those things, God, to restore and give us a clean heart. And so, God, we just uh, ask that you would move and speak to us now during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.